Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's page 1014 in the Blue Bible. 1014, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be looking at a few encouragements that we find here within this chapter. And we know that meaningless discouragement, a lack of purpose and direction and hopelessness is something that if we are not careful, we can fall into. And that is something that Peter, the Apostle Peter, was no stranger to. If we were to look back in our Bibles, back to Luke in chapter 22, it gives us a very, very vivid description of Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll recall in that passage of Scripture that it is nighttime, Peter is warming himself by the fire, and on three different occasions people come to him and say, you know him, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know who he is. And each and every time he denies. And on that third time, when Jesus is in the courtyard, Visible to Peter. On that third time, the rooster crows and Peter and Jesus lock eyes together. Can you imagine the hurt in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ being rejected once again by someone who said that he was a friend? And also, we know that the text tells us that Peter went out and he wept bitterly, shattered, broken by his sin. And thankfully, that is not the way the story ends. Though during that time, that intervening period between this time of of his denial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps hopelessness had set in in the Apostle Peter. And we see him in John 21 returning back to his old occupation. He wants to go back fishing. And yet the Lord Jesus has other plans, doesn't he? And the Lord Jesus calls him, restores him and tells him to feed his sheep. And so, when we look at the Apostle Peter, we know that pain and suffering is not something that is foreign to him in his life. And we see that he ultimately gave up his life for the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, as tradition tells us, upside down, because he deemed himself not worthy to be crucified right side up. And so at his request, that is the way that he died. And so pain and suffering and trials are not foreign to this man. And yet what he writes to us here is something that in the midst of suffering and trial, in a, in a church that is sorely tried like this one was, in a church that was dispersed and in exile, he comes with words of great encouragement. Because when we are greatly discouraged, we can get disorientated and lose our way in this world. Uh, but the Lord Jesus Christ has a way forward for us. If we, are, if we are believers in Him, there is no need to be hopeless. There is no need to be helpless. There is no need to look at our lives as a lack of purpose or meaningless. We have direction, and we see that direction given to us here in this chapter. So with that lengthy introduction, we will look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 12, but our bulk of our our time will be in verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, 
a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. O God, as we look at the encouragements that are found in this passage, we ask that you would illuminate our eyes and give us eyes to see that we would not wander away from this place unchanged like the man who beholds himself in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like, that we would look into your word and take the admonitions that we see here to heart, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you are looking to get to know someone, there are a lot of different questions you could ask them. You can ask them about their upbringing, where they went to school, where they go to church, about their family, about friends, about all kinds of things to get to know who they are. But often the question we find ourselves asking of ourselves is, who am I? Who am I? It might not be a question that we ask of other people, that, but that could be a question, especially as younger folks, that we would ask ourselves, who am I? Who has God created me to be in this world? What am I to do here in this world? And thankfully, these big life questions, God's word answers for us. And very specifically, Peter answers for us as he tells us who you are, who we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see, first of all, in these four descriptions in verse 9, we see, first of all, that you are a chosen race, a chosen race. And we see back in the book of Acts, in the early church, that they were preaching to every nation, tribe, and tongue. We see in Ephesians chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus breaks down these barriers of nationality. And we see in Galatians chapter 2 a similar theme where we see that the church is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And so that is one of the wonderful things that we have as a church fellowship. We have people from all over the world that gather here in this city and come to this church. And I suppose that if we were to tally up all the nations represented here in this fellowship, I would guess there's probably 15, 20 maybe, more, 25 maybe. It's amazing to see every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered together. And that is what heaven is going to be like, isn't it? We're not going to be segregated by by nationality, by country, by color, or anything. It is going to be every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered together. And we see that, that this one of the joys of being a Christian fellowship is to see that, that we don't divide over these different things. We gather under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are a chosen race. 
We are a chosen race, a race unto ourselves. Out of the human race, God calls and gathers a race of people that he calls his chosen race. It is a race not defined by these different demographics or these different nationalities. It is a race that gathers under the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together as God's people. And no matter where we go in this world, where we fellowship with God's people, we are all united. Not under those different demographics, not under those different socioeconomic things that people might want to divide over. We gather under the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of our passports. And if you know Christ or you don't know Christ, that is the great dividing thing that we see in God's Word. It's not race. But out of this, we see that we are a chosen race if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual race. And this would, should lead us not to an air of superiority, thinking that we are chosen, but an air of great humility, that such a great God, such a holy God, would choose wretches like us to be his chosen people. It should give us cause and pause for great humility. None of us is worthy. And God simply set his love lavished His love upon us, His grace upon us, and calls us His people. I will save you, the Lord says, not because you are great, but because of His own greatness, because of His own love that He set upon us. And so who are we? Peter tells us that we are a chosen people. A chosen people. Once objects of God's wrath, now we are chosen as objects of His great mercy. And Peter goes on to say that we are a royal priesthood. We are royal priests of God who offer sacrifices of service because of all that Christ has done for us. In ancient times, royalty had a private collection of royal priests. And one of the great privileges of these royal priests is that they had access to kings, to queens, to royalty. And we can see the parallel that we have with us because we have continued uninterrupted access with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. At any time, day or night, we can access that presence. We don't have to wait for a particular time or an appointment. We don't have to wait for a particular King that might be coming through our city and we go and try to meet Him and try to see Him. We can visit with the Lord Jesus Christ at any time. We are priests. We are a royal priesthood. And that means that we have intimacy. That means that we have access And that means that we have the blessing of continued uninterrupted fellowship with this great God. So we are royal priests and we are also a holy nation. We are called a holy nation. And you can see in your bulletin tonight, we're going to be talking more about that. And so we can reserve that. But we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. That is where our citizenship resides. We are set apart. That's what holy means. We are a holy nation. We are set apart unto God as this fourth description uh, describes for us of who we are. We are a people for God's own possession. A people for God's own possession. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We are chosen by Him. We are His. He is good to us. He blesses us. He provides all things for us in this world and in the next world as part of His kingdom we are provided for. And He tells us not to fear that He will be with us. He tells us to be anxious for nothing because He will provide for us and we are to bring all of our cares and concerns to Him. All of the promises of God are ours because we are His. We are His people. We are His 
possession. And in these few lines, the Apostle Peter tells us who we are. If you're ever confused about who you are, and we see confusion all around us in our culture about who we are as people, we never need to be confused. We can see that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Now, what does that mean? If we know our identity, we are also to know our purpose. And we see that given to us in verse 9b, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you. That is our task in this world, to proclaim the excellencies of God, the excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, around 15 years ago, uh, my wife and I and our family, we visited the island of Maui in Hawaii. And so I learned a little bit about Christian missionaries while I was there, and then I wanted to learn more when I got home. And so I did some research trying to go back to the roots of, of Christian missionaries that went to the islands in Hawaii. And so I discovered and stumbled upon this young man named Henry Obukaya. Now Henry uh, became converted. He was a convert to Christ and, and he loved Christ and he wanted the people there in the Hawaiian Islands to know who Christ was as well. And so he decided that he wanted to go to the United States and to learn Hebrew and Greek and to translate the Bible into the Hawaiian language. And so one day, he was along the shore of the beach and he could see a merchant ship passing by. This is back in the 1800s, early 1800s. And so he saw this merchant ship and he swam out to it. And, and these people were Americans and he begged them, he begged the ship's captain to take him to America so that he could learn Hebrew and Greek and return with the Bible to these people. And so after some time, the captain relented and took him to Boston, dropped him off in Boston. And he went to Yale University and he began to learn Hebrew and Greek so that he could return to Hawaii. But along the way, he caught typhoid fever and he died. At his funeral, his classmates decided that they were going to take up his vision uh, to be able to, to do this, uh, to be able to translate the scriptures and go to Hawaii. And so they began to do that. And over the course of time, a, a biography was written about him. And there was this groundswell in New England of different people who wanted to support this missionary endeavor. And so in 1918, there was a ship loaded with cargo and people to go to the Hawaiian Islands. Some seven newly married couples also joined other people who went uh, to the Hawaiian Islands. And after five months and 18,000 miles of a journey, they arrived in the Hawaiian Islands. They built schools, churches, uh, medical facilities to help the Hawaiians. They had translated into Hawaiian different Christian writings and also the scriptures. And over the course of time, over the course of 30 years after the death of Henry Obukaya, 180 missionaries followed these people to Hawaii and made great inroads with the gospel into the Hawaiian islands. And Henry Obukaya was one of the first of many, many people to be converts to the Lord Jesus Christ in these islands. Henry knew who he was, and he knew what he had to do to proclaim the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is excellent, isn't he? If you've known God for any length of time, you know God's mercies. You know His excellencies. And if you don't know them, then you need to get to know them better. We see that God is excellent in all of His perfections, in His knowledge, in His power, in His wisdom, in His glory, in His mercy, in His graces. 
And we need to know these areas so that we can proclaim these excellencies to others. Now think about this for a moment. We have a number of young couples who are engaged to be married. Some of them are here this morning and some newly married uh, over the course of the last year. And we rejoice in these things. It is an excellent time in our church, an exciting time to see these couples join together. But what if one of these couples got married and then they never spoke to each other? Never. They passed each other in the hallway. They might sit down and have a meal. They have stresses in, in relationships. They have sufferings in life. They have blessings in life and, and good times, bad times, work times. They go to work. They come home. They never talk. They never converse with one another. They never communicate. Could you imagine what that would be like? They say they have a relationship, but what kind of a relationship really is that? And that is the way some people live out their Christian lives. They say they have a relationship with God and yet never communicate with Him. They don't read the Word. They don't engage in prayer. They live as practical atheists. And what a sad relationship that would be to not know the excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement to you, one of my encouragements is, to get to know these excellencies, to get to know the attributes of God, to read your Bible and, and think, what does this communicate to me about God, about His attributes, about the Gospel? How can I use this to proclaim God's excellencies in this world? We need to know God, we need to communicate with Him, and then we need to be able to communicate those excellencies with other people that come across our path. And so we see what we are to do. We are to proclaim these excellencies and our text also tells us what God has done. We see that at the end of verse 9 and then in verse 10. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has called us out of the darkness and confusion of this world into his marvelous light and it's good for us to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel and to meditate upon those things and how is how god has plucked us out of this culture and loved us so much and given us such graces given us his mercy given us a family god knew that we needed community and he gave us the church god knew that we needed forgiveness and he gives us his mercy and forgiveness. He gives us His free grace. He has fully accounted for all of our sins in the gospel. Not one of them is being unaccounted for. God knows them all. The big ones, the little ones, every single one of them. He's counted them all up. Every single sin, past, present, future, all of them. And He's put it on a scale as it were. And He knows the full weight of all of those sins. And He's put the full weight of all of those sins upon His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every last one of them, in every way in which we have transgressed the law of God, every single law of God that has been transgressed, every single sin has been placed on the Son of God. That is mercy. That is great grace that God has lavishly loved us so much. Once we were not a people, now we are a people, the people of God, a people of his own possession. And so how are we to respond to these things? 
while we see Peter going from these great scriptural doctrinal truths and then he applies them very shortly here in our text in verses 11 and verse 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitations. We as Christians are not of this world. We're just passing through. Life is fleeting and it's going to end. And it's going to end quickly. Life is like a vapor. It just disappears. And quickly we'll be in the presence of our God. And so one of the admonitions here for us is to not allow the stains of this world to mark us for eternity. It simply means that we do not take our cues and our standards from the society which we are presently residing in, but from our future home, from the society we will be spending all of eternity in. And we see that in the Word of God. God tells us how we ought to live. And here Peter tells us to abstain or to give up the passions of the flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil sorely try us in this world. And sometimes in this battle that we are in, we are our own worst enemies. Sometimes we can't get out of our own way. And John Calvin says that we anxiously shun enemies who represent dangers to our bodies. Yet, we willingly allow enemies hurtful to our souls to destroy us. No, it is even as if we stretch forth our very necks to them. Sometimes we can't get out of our own way and we put ourselves in harm's way. And Peter tells us here that we are to conduct ourselves in a good and an honorable way. We are not simply to abstain from the passions that war against us. We're not only to put off those things, we are to put on good conduct. We are to put on good things, good and honorable things that we see here in this text. We are to live in such a way that though our enemies might seek to condemn us, they don't have any good reason to condemn us. Though this world might want to chastise us as believers, we live in a world that calls bad things good and good things bad. And yet, we are to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We are to live in such a way that our enemies will see the things that we do, the way in which we live, and have no choice but to attribute those things to God. A life that has been transformed. They can't, it's undeniable in this world. They, they, they can't deny that truth of a life that has been changed and transformed. That's what we see in the scriptures. That we, that's what we see in the life of the apostle Peter, what a great transformation we see in his life. That yes, he made many mistakes. He sinned against the Lord. And yet God restored him. God forgave him. And God gave, used him greatly within the early church to accomplish his purpose and will. And Jesus said something similar along these lines. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we... As the children of God, we as the people of God's own possession, we never need to live a life of meaninglessness. We never need to have a lack of purpose. We never need to have no direction in this world and know not which way to go in this world. We never need to live a life of hopelessness. 
How do we avoid that? We need to remember who we are as God's people, His own possession. We need to remember why we're here to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. You remember that young man, that teenager in Hawaii, Henry Obukaya? Well, after 15 years ago, going and researching this, and then five years ago, Tammy and I were in Maui once again, and we went and visited this church, and who happened to be preaching as a guest preacher that morning was none other than the great-great-grandson of Henry Obukaya. And I couldn't believe, knowing the story of this family and seeing the legacy of Henry right there before my very eyes in his own family. It was a great encouragement to me. But also he said a number of other encouraging things. He said he recounted the early days of when the Christian missionaries had come from Yale University and the effect that they had on the high and on the Hawaiian Islands, so much so that within one single generation, the entire Hawaiian Islands were Christianized. Amazing. Within one generation, the Hawaiian Islands were Christianized. So much so that the king was even converted, his house of royalty was converted, and the king had written into the charter that the islands were to be subject to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Now, sadly, the Hawaiian Islands, like the rest of our culture, has has moved away from these different things, but we can see how in one generation, the transforming power of the gospel going forward in great power and that revolutionary effect that can occur within it. And so it's a great encouragement to us. Why did this happen? Well, it happened because one young man knew who he was in the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to proclaim the excellencies of Christ among his people. He knew who he was and what he had to do, and he set about to doing it. He didn't sit around waiting. He found a way to accomplish and advance the gospel. And though things may not have turned out the way Henry had planned them, they turned out exactly the way our Lord had planned them. And his plan bore much, much fruit. And it's just as Jesus died to give his life a ransom A ransom for a few? A ransom just for a select few of us here this morning? No, a ransom for many, for many, for a chosen race, for a royal priesthood, for a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you for the wonder-working power of the gospel and that you would save such people like us. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us for your purposes, for your glory, that you'd help us to remember in times of trial and temptation who we are, that we are set apart as a holy nation, as a holy people for your plan, for your purposes, that we would proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Help us to do that as individuals. Help us to do that as a church. Help us to honor you in all things. And I pray and ask for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would encourage them in these things and that you would bless them greatly. In Christ's precious name. Amen.